Hello, you are listening to Omnitox Retail Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Firework, SPS Commerce, and Sezzle. Ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally, the Omnitox Fast Five is a podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week, too. Today is August 24th, 2023. I'm your host, Dan Mazinga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss the most important headlines from the past week that highlight how the physical, digital, and human elements of retail are coming together to shape the future. Uh, today, yes, Chris, and we are back from vacation. We are, we are sort of back, yes. One of us is more back than the other, but yes. 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 We are we are in London. We're in London in your hotel room. On actually. location. Yes. On in the hotel room. But we are also the Marriott. Where is it? The Marriott what? Regent, Regent Park? Park. Regency Park. Or yes. Regent, Park. Regent Park. Regent Park. Regent Park. Yes. yes. We're getting our London on here. Yes. And Near Hampstead, which I guess is the posh area of London. Yeah. yeah. It is very posh. I want to move here. And he's out immediately. He's out. Oh my God. Well, today <laughs> we are joined for their regular monthly appearance. Our, by our good friends at the Alvarez and Marcel Consumer and Retail Group. We have a newbie today. Yes, a noob as the dressed kids up say. for the equation for the occasion and the equation. The equation. Whoa. Um, we have <laughs> Ben Loden and Chad Lusk. Guys, welcome to the OmniTalk Retail Fast Five. How are you doing? Uh, we're, we're doing great. And for those watching the uh, video version of this, I, I I think we're setting new ground here. I think this is the yes. first time that we have two A&M CRGers doing the podcast together in the same room at yes. the same time. So it's, you know, it's so it's new ground for us, but we're excited. We're yeah. like we're like Olympic correspondents right here. Like yeah, we are. Katie and Matt going to uh, the other two. Who are they? I, like I don't want to be Katie. I don't want to be Matt. I don't. I don't. I don't like. Maybe that. you're okay. Katie. Maybe, maybe I'm. Matt. Maybe I'll be Brian Gumble. Okay, I'll be that's Brian. better. I, he's, that's he's much better. better. He's, he's, he hasn't been canceled, right? I don't think. So. I don't. No, I, think I he's don't. Still good. I don't know. Uh, but let's take a second and have each of you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, ben, you're the newbie. Let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about you and your background. Yes. No. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be, you know, on 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 this podcast today. And you know, to me, this is normal being in the same room. So yes. in my first time, this is you know, right day today. But uh, as I said, Ben Loudon, I'm a senior director. I'm here at CRG. Been working alongside Chad and the rest of the group for about a year and a half now. Um, always been, uh, you know, a career consultant. So no, you know, no operator experience there. But I've, I've always focused on. Kind of cost takeout programs on both the CPG mm. and retail side, with a heavy focus really in household care. Um, most most recently, food um, at theme parks. So, if you've got any oh, chicken tender ooh. questions today, I can answer anything about a chicken tender. Um, he knows and, a lot about nuggets, and oh, we might have some questions yes. for you, Ben. Well, um, I'm happy to answer, but yeah, it's been about me. I'm excited to be here. Well, welcome to the show, uh, Chad. You're a long time. Long time fast fiber, five insightful minutes. In fact, I just I have to say when I was uh yeah. my favorite, we used we used to call Chad the Lusker on the here. Lusker. Yeah. But we, uh, we still call him we, this, actually. Well, you do. In private. You do. Uh but instead of the Lusker, Chad, have you ever had your name autocorrect to Chad Lust? 
because I was I was just working on an edit of our last five insightful minutes, which everyone should check out with you. And it kept autocorrecting to Chad Lust. And I was like, maybe the luster yeah. is a better. It made it, made it kind of steamy and yeah. it was made for a steamy. Five it's like minutes. very Danielle Steele. Yeah. But Chad, uh, tell us a little bit about you. And first and foremost, have you ever been called? For, first and foremost on the on the nickname of the fantastic. I, you know, I have had uh, I've, I've received mail addressed to me for now literally decades with Chad Lust, L-U-S-T, yes. uh, Lush, L-U-S-H, Lush. Oh, right? Also um, all of that. So, you know, I guess I'm ready and willing to accept all versions and, and uh, variants of, of nicknames. So uh, Chad Lust, L-U-S-K, Managing Director with A&M CRG out of, uh, out of Chicago. Uh, so prior to joining AM, multi-time chief strategy officer, chief marketing officer across CPG and retail. I spend most of my time here uh, at CRG working with clients on large-scale commercial transformations, uh, usually kind of front-end uh, commercial aspects of growth strategy, marketing, uh, sales effectiveness. Excellent. Awesome. Welcome back, Chad. Yeah, it's good to have you, Thank Chad. You. Chad, Thank you. Lust, lush, whatever it is, whatever works, whatever works today. All right, this well, is we, new for me. Gonna take yeah, that to the team. Right oh God, Ben, we got we got to get a new name for you. We got yeah, to don't new. worry, we'll find one we'll by, find the one end, you by the end. This is by the time this is over. So, um, all right, well, should we do the show? Let's end? do it. All right, Let's get well, to it. before we get to the headlines, I want to say that excitement is in the air as our friends at Grocery Shop gear up for the highly anticipated Meetup Selections Week. On Monday, Meetup Selection Week kicks off and thousands of retailer and brand execs from across the global grocery ecosystem are going to start reviewing other attendees' profiles and selecting the people with whom they want to meet at Grocery Ooh. Shop. Half of all attendees will pick who they want to meet on Monday. So if you want eyes on your profile and yeah, who doesn't? You got to grab a ticket now. You don't get to put those like pictures of you on top of a mountain or with holding a fish, you know, like they do in, in, on Tinder. Like you got to, got your profile has to stand out on its own. Is that what the kids are doing these days? Put fish in I don't profile know. pictures. But by the way, also the action doesn't stop with just networking. Grocery Shop has also finalized their impressive keynote lineup with the recent additions of the presence of Hy-Vee, who will deliver a joint keynote, and the uh-huh. president of Mars Pet Care, a key player in pet nutrition. They'll be joining chief execs from Frito-Lay, Kroger, Unilever, Tropicana, Ahold Delays, and more. And let me emphasize, Ann, the event is what I would call unmissable. Without a doubt. You can grab your ticket at grocershop.com slash Omnitalk. So my advice is hit pause right now if you're listening. Grab your ticket like Ann and I did a long time ago. We've been planning this for like nine months. I planned yes. it for a year, basically. Go every yes. year. Then come back and get, and then let's do the headlines after you hit pause and get your ticket at groceryshop.com slash Omnitalk. All right. And this week's Fast Five, we've got news on Aldi acquiring Winn-Dixie and Harvey Supermarkets, Etsy debuting its very own baby registry, Trader Joe's executives saying they will never Ever, 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 ever put self checkout machines in their ever, stores. Ever, ever, ever. ever. <laughs> Amazon. Copy off guard. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. It quits on a number of its in house brands. Hey, we're in London. It's all good. But we begin today with big earnings news and particularly the news coming out of Dick's. And news coming out of Dick's. Yes, that's what we're going to start with. Headline number one. That's right. Dick's Sporting Goods stock dropped precipitously this week. According to CNBC, for the first time in three years, Dick's fell short of Wall Street's estimates on the top and bottom lines. Dick's Sporting Goods reported a profit drop 
and cutting and cut its earnings back uh, earnings outlook for the year after seeing an uptick in retail theft and slow sales in its outdoor category over the last quarter. Chief Financial Officer Navdeep Gupta said that shrink hurt gross margins by about 85 basis points. This, it should also be noted, also marked the very first time Dix has referenced shrink in a press release in almost 20 years. Said Gupta, quote, the biggest impact in terms of the surprise for Q2 primarily came from shrink. We thought we had adequately reserved for it. However, the number of incidents and the organized retail crime impact came in significantly higher than we anticipated, and that impacted our Q2 results as well. End quote. Chad, we're going to you first. Uh, here it is again. What we're talking about theft. What should Dix and others in the retail industry be doing about this problem? Um, yeah, let me take a step back at first, uh, just to talk about the uh, the dynamics of of how how they're talking about it as a, as a consequence of financials, right? right. So, um, uh, you know, I, first of all, organized retail theft is real. It's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's no doubt about it, uh, and it's and it's increasing, but. Overall perspective, like this feels like a, a bit of an easy out on an earnings miss, right? Yeah. So, is uh, looking at the numbers a little bit, like from a quarterly results standpoint, like revenue is actually up three point six percent. Net income was down twenty three percent. Right. Even if you look, okay, quarter to quarter, look at the last twenty six weeks, sales are up four point four. Net income was down five percent. So those spreads are pretty wide, mm-hmm. and they were saying shrink was 0.85 percentage points for the CFO statements. Right. So it's a portion of something that's larger at play going on with with the exporting goods right now. You know, it's one quarter. Let's not overreact to it, right? But it does call into question, kind of, I don't know, the sustainability of. You know, business model right now. Maybe I, you know, I'm not sure. You know, I I loved exporting goods. My kids love walking it, uh, looking at shoes, looking all the things. Um, you know, I equated to walking to Circuit City to look for CDs back in the day. Not oh, a good yeah. comparison, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's so, pretty fun. So, so I don't. So I don't know what's happening, but it's clearly something more than theft. Okay. So now, what are retailers doing about theft? Um, you know, at right now, uh, retailers are going a lot, a lot of kind of classic tactics here. So you're talking guards at high theft stores, uh, limiting on-shelf availability for high shrink SKUs um, through boxing or other kind of physical means and and deterrence from, from associates, um, considering centralized services and security operations centers. Um, still TBD, you know, I would encourage as we're encouraging our, our, our retail clients to do is like, let's make sure that first and foremost, we're doing the more important thing, which is how we focus on keeping associates safe in the stores. Because, you know, what I'm seeing from a, a Dick's financial results standpoint is, you know, that's not what tanked the stock price 24%, right? There's more at play. So make sure the business model's right. Keep your employees safe. Uh, and, you know, let's keep, let's continue to, to work on some of those physical deterrence. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts here? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, Chad always articulates everything really, really well. I mean, to me, I, I mean, the only other answers I would put in here, I think, you know, at, in terms of combating the shrink issue and the theft issue, too, because they kind of go hand in hand in a lot of ways. One, I'd be looking at RFID like mm-hmm. across the board, especially if you're an apparel retailer like Dix and maybe they have already. But if they haven't, they should be. Um, but then. You know, then from there, that at least gives you more confidence in the theft number versus the loss number because you can understand in real time where your inventory is. You don't have to wait. There's 
there's talk in the article about you know they doing the inventory count once a year them trying to do that more often well rfid would help help mm-hmm. with that to some degree um and so then you know from there i think then you have to look at other creative things like chad mentioned like no one loves the experience of putting everything behind glass. Like yeah. I was in the Walmart in San Clemente, California the other day. And I couldn't even shop it because everything was under glass. There was no one around to help me, which is another problem in retail too, because so much of the store labor has been pulled out of the operation. There's no one to help to get those products for you when you find that. So so I think you got to start looking at other models. Like I think Costco is a great model. You have the, me- the club membership where they know who you are. It requires you to kind of identify yourself to come in, identify yourself kind of when you're going out too. I wonder if we don't start to see that play out more often throughout retail, especially because with loyalty programs being so much more prevalent than they ever have been in the past, I think there's a natural proclivity for consumers to be willing to adopt that from their retailers, especially in light of of what's going on. So that would be my take. Yeah. Ben, anything you'd jump in and and add here? Yeah, definitely. I think there's also, you know, a a messaging play here with the Typically, we've been talked about as shrink, and now we see Dicks, you see Foot Locker, and others using the word theft. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it in the headlines. And it's, are, you know, I think there's this element of speaking to the local municipalities where they're trying to get that word out there a bit more. Um, you know, low impact right now, margin, but instead of having to change anything, can they, you know, start talking about it more and you know, get to the local mu- municipalities to do something like we're seeing in New York? Yeah, I mean, I I think you guys all bring up good points. One being, you know, I think this shrink problem has definitely been like the new weather excuse for Mm -hmm. companies and earnings reports um, because it doesn't place blame on necessarily anybody in the organization. And I think to Chris's point too, there there are so many ways that companies for a multitude of reasons should be making more investments in inventory visibility to understand where things are to really cross that line to make sure you know what's actually just, you know, being put out in a curbside pickup order in duplicate on accident, like what's actually happening to each of the items within your store. And then I think lastly, you know, the the impact that the outdoor industry did have like that was this pretty significant thing we have people revenge traveling right now and they're going on big trips and flights and i think it's just like everybody looking at digital grocery last year and this year like the pandemic made people have to do outdoor things they couldn't travel on airplanes and i think that that probably did have a bigger impact on the dicks outdoor business particular that particularly that they also mentioned in the earnings report so Lots to lots to get your head around here, but again, shrink being being top of mind for a lot of retailers as we uh, get these earning reports back. Yes, a lot of talk in the media about shrinkage. Yeah. All right, headline number two: Aldi has acquired approximately four hundred stores in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, and Mississippi through its acquisition of the Winn Dixie and Harvey supermarkets banners. According to Chain Storage, Aldi plans to evaluate which Harvey's and Winn Dixie locations will be converted to the Aldi format. It's not clear how many will actually convert, but Aldi's U.S. CEO, Jason Hart, said, quote, for those stores we do not convert, our attention is that these continue to operate as Winn-Dixie and Harvey's supermarket stores, end quote. And he also went on to add that the transaction supports our long-term growth strategy across the United States, including plans to add 120 new stores nationwide this year to reach a total of more than, wow, 2,400 stores by year end. That was a quote. Chad, let's go back to you for this. How big is this announcement and what does it mean for the grocery landscape? Uh, all right. I'm going to put on my best uh, Chris Walton hyperbolic statement. Oh, I, wow. I, oh, wow. Please. Yeah, let's do it. This all right, is do the, it. Big, the biggest headline in grocery uh, in 2023. Wow. Uh, wow. Uh, 
and I I just did the insightful minutes with you guys, and we talked about you know, Walmart's expansion of ESLs and Kroger yeah. and yeah. screens and digital tech. Like I think all the expansion here, and in particular being on an acquisition path, mm-hmm. uh, is is bigger, right? So why if wow. you're if you're Publix, like, is there anything scarier to your market supremacy in the Southeast than Aldi, right? One of the fastest growing retail right. grocers making inroads in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. Like, no one's been able to do it. Right. Even Kroger's approach has been to do, you know, through Akado doing like an right. income Delivery only type only. perspective. Yeah. Like, they, they have had it, right? And so yeah. now... Aldi gets this physical footprint, you know, down in the Southeast and an, and an offering for a value conscious consumer, which has not really been there in a material in a, in a strong way. And, you know, as far as public's nerves, right? Like, you know, any loss in kind of the segment here will impact their own expansion plans because, you know, their cash cow of the Florida market is effectively what has the ability to, you know, uh, kind of, you know, fund them going forward. And that could be tough to stomach. Um, I, I, I think there's some probably real issues happening in the, in the public's boardroom. I, I think this is enormous. Wow. Fascinating. I was not, I was expecting you to say it was big, but I didn't expect you to say it was going to be that big. That's really interesting. And what's your take on this? Uh, yeah. I mean, I agree with Chad. I think this is a bold move by Aldi. Um, I just was walking through one of the like urban shopping centers here and Aldi just went in and put a gigantic brand new store right next door to the Sainsbury's here on one of the high streets. Like I, and I was talking with somebody yesterday who said Aldi is actually a real estate company that also happens to sell food. So they are like going hard on acquiring stores. They're, they're really trying to make sure that they have coverage anywhere and everywhere possible. And I think that it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I don't know if you guys have been in a Winn-Dixie. I've been to the ones in Florida, but let me tell you, there is nothing lacking uh, there or nothing that you will lose by losing those butcher departments, the seafood, the bakery departments and converting to a full on Aldi store. Really? You're just getting that in prepackaged goods. And I think that like taking over, I mean, I know they're not taking over all the Winn-Dixie's and converting them, but I think converting those two Aldi's makes a ton of sense. Plus, I think then you have the option as Aldi to expand some of the other pilots you would do it in the U.S. with curbside pickup, even with delivery with partners like Instacart. And using those stores, those larger Harvey's and Winn-Dixie stores as microfilament stores so that you can do more shit from store. Like, I think that there's a lot of potential once they get into these markets. So not I didn't think it was going to yeah, be the biggest wow. pad, but I do think there's a ton of opportunity. There. Yeah, no, that's interesting, too. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like you think you think of Aldi and like there's all these all the, the, the interesting about the grocery landscape, too, which this could be a harbinger of more to come, Chad, which when you put it when you put that hyperbole around, it, it's really fascinating. Like, there's all these regional like gentlemen's agreements that are in, in, in throughout that landscape. And now you're saying, okay, well, we're going to let Aldi come into Florida. Now we're just going to give over these, you know, these, these, uh, these existing brands. We're going to let you acquire them and see what happens. And like, dude, as the rest of the regional grocers start to feel the pressure of doing grocery in the 2023, do we start to see more of those regional dynamics start to break down? Does Aldi become the benefactor in that breakdown later on? Who knows? But Ben, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I see it as a really exciting experiment for Aldi as well. Right? Mm-hmm. Winn-Dixie, double, if not more, the footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, same with Harvey, right? So they are now entering and, you know, growing in this new market. Okay, what are we going to do with double the space? Yeah. That's, that's a humongous question. Are you going to sublease some of that? Um, and then what is private label? So if you're 90% private label, they're 20% private label. 
I think it's a bit of a playing ground for them to say, oh, we're going to do this. We're, you know, we're seeing the opportunities. This is the next one. There's going to be more. Let's figure it out now. And then similarly on the back end, you know, smart to not convert them all right away. And, you know, my assumption is it's figuring out the logistics. Is it going to go to their own distribution? Just open that brand you know, gigantic distribution center, figure that out slowly and then perfect this model and then, you know, go after some more. So I think it's, I think it's fun on, for both those elements. Yeah, that's what I'm one, that's gonna be one of my questions too. Do you guys do you guys at AM see this as kind of just the political thing you say right now? Where we are evaluating how many to turn over to the banner, but to the Aldi banner, but ultimately the, the goal here is to turn as many of them as possible under the and turn them into the Aldi brand. Is do you think that's the play here? How do you guys look at that? I I I would be surprised if it's not. Yeah, personally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I said, yeah. Do you really need Windexy around still? I I want somebody to argue the pro Windexy point because. Careful, and I had Wawa fans coming at me last time. Well, you might get fine. the oh, so I will win Dixie lovers. That's a good point. Is that's a good point? And so you know, I grew up in the Northeast. I worked in the C store industry. Wawa is a great example. There is such an emotional connection. True. To uh, you know, Philadelphians, and now they've expanded all the way down to Florida as well to the Wawa brand and its service. You know, I I. <laughs> Don't have the data to back it up, but I can't imagine that the consumer emotional connection to Win Dixie is what it is for Aldi because the Aldi emotional connection is very high. Yes, there people are buying Aldi clothes right. to wear around. My grandfather, ninety six year old, still talks about Aldi. Yes. every time I see him, I'm gonna see him next weekend. He's probably gonna talk about Aldi. I swear to God, Aldi's. So, I think they call them Aldi's. Aldi. The olds, the olds call it Aldi's. They do actually. He does. He does. You're right. All, All right, right, let's keep moving. Let's go to headline number three. Etsy has debuted its very own baby registry, Chris. Yes, according, I'm excited according, about according this. Man. Retail dive. Etsy unveiled the registry service after discovering that shoppers on its website have searched for a baby item. Them every second. It's kind of crazy. For the past six months. With the registry, current and expecting parents can list the personalized infant, children, and nursery items that they desire from Etsy's international artisans. Uh, ben, where were you first on this one? Uh, no-brainer move here, or is there anything Etsy and its customers should be watching out for with this move? Definitely. And um, as a person with no children, I feel like the expert. Here, but you, de- you definitely should lead on this one. <laughs> yes, yes, yes Ben. It's now. good that we asked you to go first. Uh, yes. <laughs> I need to step back and think of right the, the customer journey here. I mean, Ben, you're you're purchasing so many like newborn pacifier yeah. knit crocheted things. You're right? Probably buying things friends, off registries, right? right? Yeah. My my Etsy purchase have been large tables, you know, furnishing furnishing my home, but um right. I'll, I'll step into this one as well. I think you know, for them right now where they are, it feels very no-brainer. Um, you know, they're struggling this year because they had such a boom during the pandemic, right? Everyone's shopping online, wanting personalized items. Um, but all the everyone's shopping by by category at that time, right? And I think, you know, you see their wedding registry and now the, the baby registry, they're taking moments rather than, you know, things you just may need, you don't really know where they fit into as they shopper. So taking wedding registry. The, the, the logical next step, I guess, is is baby registry, right? In, right. in that journey, um, and it's getting more people on the site, not just for customized, you know, items, but for experiences that are you know big impacts to their lives. So I think it makes sense to them. It'll be interesting what's next. You know, the registry might be tapped out now. So what are those next, you know, moments they're going to be able to kind of include in this, you know, this new shopper journey they're 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 laying out. 
All right. So net uh, net, you like the move. You yes, like the move. Yes, Chad. Chad looks puzzled. Yeah, quizzical. Yes. What no, are you? Are you is, in is, agreement, or are you just so blown away by someone who doesn't yet have children who is able to so beautifully articulate why this is a great move for Nancy? I, I think you're just capturing the dynamic of having two of us on the screen at the same time. Right? And I was like, what do I do with my hands while Ben is talking? I, you know, I don't. I don't know. Um, well, no, it's funny that, that Ben said that, right? Because I'm on the opposite end and, and uh, you know, my kids are 15 and about to be 13. And so much to the chagrin of my wife years ago, I'm I'm not in the, you know, I got out of the baby market a long time ago, so I'm no more of a consumer of this than, than Ben is. Um, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I guess I'm in the no-brainer camp as well um, because I don't understand necessarily the downside risk of doing it, right? It's actually kind of good timing because legacy players like, you know, bye bye baby, and you know, right. babies are right. like you know they're kind of in states of transition. So Great hey, context. you know, come to us. So I don't think it hurts. Um, you know, I, what's interesting though, right, is um, you know, my only watch out is more from an expectation perspective than mm-hmm. you know some business model risk. Like you know, I was looking up some numbers last night because again, I'm out of the market, right? Like. Over 50% of expecting parents actually visit brick and mortar stores to research or test products before putting it on their online registries, right? Etsy obviously doesn't have that. Um, You know, you're talking car seats and strollers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Plus younger demos. So Gen Z or whatnot, you know, approaching these, these ages, right, are registering for fewer items and they're more likely to create just one registry than multiple for the fear of appearing to be asking for too much. Right. So, you know, when we did this back in the day and you'd go to, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond and Crate & Barrel and Macy's and all of that, if you're going to consolidate to one place, are you going to consolidate at a place where you have these more like customized goods, which is kind of, you know, more of the assortment of Etsy. So I'd be cautious, I guess, of the upside, but mm, yeah. I guess where's the risk? I, mm. I love what Chad's saying there, though, because I, I agree. I think this is giving you the opportunity, though, to ask for the things that you actually want. Like what costs the most for people who are new parents who are investing in the baby? It's the nursery. It's all the stuff like the customized art that you're getting. It's yeah. the bedding. It's the rugs. It's all the decor, yeah. the stick things you're sticking on the wall. Like those are things that you can get now from Etsy as a gift, which to me is like right up there with getting diapers and formula. Right up there, huh? Yeah. I, it is like I th- I yeah. can't believe it took Etsy this long. Yeah, no, I mean I I think it's a good move. I think I agree with you guys a hundred percent. I agree with you. I think it's I think it's kind. Of, I do think it's a no brainer move, but I do think you also have to be careful if you're Etsy too, because as you guys know, I yes. think I've said this on the podcast before. Baby was my favorite business I ever ran at yeah. Target. I loved it. I would get back into it in a heartbeat if the opportunity ever came by because I just love it that much. But I think. It's a, it's a no-brainer because people, like you said, Ann, they want that one-of-a-kind item, mm-hmm. you know, and you can get that at Etsy. But you have to be careful if you're Etsy about how large you let this registry universe become. Yes. Because you don't want to be buying a crib from Harry the Artisanal Handyman either, you know? Like, there's a lot of product risk and product safety risk that comes from that. So you've got to be very careful with how large you let that registry 
item universe become or else you could be in a world of hurt from lawsuits down the line yeah if you're not careful and it's hard to keep a tab it's hard to keep tabs on that type of stuff and the average consumer might not be aware of the fact that you don't want to be buying your crib from the guy down the street yeah i wonder what the regulations are like do you do you sign a waiver when you purchase that stuff like i i won't hold very responsible yeah i don't know there's a lot of i doubt it like there's a lot of potential legal issues that could come into play here if they're not smart about this so hopefully they are Hopefully they're thinking about it because they've probably been selling these items on their site for a while, mm. but selling them on your site versus selling them through a baby registry has a different attachment to it as well. So oh who boy. knows? Oh boy. All right. All right. So I just rain on that parade a little bit. All right. Headline number four. I'm in London. It's raining. You know, I'm raining. All right. Two headline number four, two Trader Joe's executives confirmed this past week that its store will never include self-checkout machines. This is my favorite headline of the weekend. According to Retail Dive, CEO Brian Paulbaum and President John Bassalone made the statement in a recently recorded company podcast called Inside Trader Joe's. Catchy title. Both are very new to the roles. Paulbaum just took over the role last month after replacing Dan Bain, who had led the company for 22 years. And here are some snippets of what they had to say on the podcast. On self-checkout, President Bassalone said, Quote, we're not trying to get rid of our crew members for efficiency's sake or whatever the, I don't know what the reasons are people put self-checkout in, end quote. And, and this yes. is my favorite, they also even managed to take a shot at robots. Why not? While discussing product innovation, Baselon also said, quote, that's where excitement comes from. You know, it's not crazy new ideas like the robot in the aisle that answers questions and that helps to clean up spills, end quote. So Chad, my question for you is, why would executives make a statement like this? And would you have advised them to do so? Uh, yeah, I mean, I knew we'd have this headline. <laughs> I was, I'm glad, but I was oh, kind of hoping. Oh, this is up on social media, yeah. man. It was I crazy. know, I was kind of hoping it didn't come up. But I, but I, no, I'm glad it is. Because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good conversation because here we have, uh, well, so we were actually having a conversation at dinner the other night about Trader Joe's, right? Which which was interesting. Oh, right? yeah. Like like and how maniacal they are about their value proposition. Like they know how they make money, they're very intentional about it. They operationalize that through every aspect of the of the shopping experience. And you know, I'm talking about emotional connections to retailers. Like that's great. You 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 want to have a very clear value prop that's successful and that's admirable. Um, and so I get caveat, but like, I get the point of view, right. And because their business model, like, like service is a key component of their value proposition, right? They're huge on customer engagement. Their cashiers, unlike checking out at a Kroger or Safeway, right? Like they engage, they discuss and upsell products, um, where you know they're pushing their uniqueness around innovation and a move to self-checkout harms that value proposition. I get it. However, uh-huh. <laughs> your question of why would what? you say this and would we encourage it? Yeah. Does this not reek of like Kodak talking about we're never yes. gonna go to digital photography? Right. Like that's the only thing I could think of as I'm watching the, you know, listening to these quotes and, and reading this, right? Which is like, man, it just sounds out of touch. And it it is it's interesting because it's a dynamic of consumer interests conflicting with a, a, a really successful value proposition. At what point do you you know lean into the future, even though it's the way that we've always done it? 
Um, so no, I wouldn't have advised the statements. Um, but you know, that, that's where I'm at on it. Yeah. It seems a little chest bumping too. You know, I think the way, the way it was said too, but, and like, what do you, and my, and my question for you too is, is the things that Chad just described there and what, and what Barcelona and the CEO are talking about too, is that, is that really real too? Like, do you go in there and does that differentiate Trader Joe's for you at the end of the day? Or is it really the products that are differentiating Trader I, Joe's for you? I think it does. I mean, I think okay. that's what they're, they're standing on, right? They have owned all own brand products, but now that yeah. you have way more grocers that are investing in this, I don't think that's a key differentiator for them as much as it was before. And you have like, I don't think that everybody wants people to talk to them about the quinoa stuffed grape leaves and how good they are. I would say it's more conversation than it is upset in most experiences i've never just like, noticed it personally like, really no i mean like i just go check out i've never like been like oh this is a great checkout experience i really love talking to fran, oh fran at the checkout oh i thought you meant Trader nobody's Joe's. like talk to you about the products no. that you're putting in your bag it's like almost annoying to me no, that okay. when it happens yeah, i guess i've just never noticed it but, but yeah. i think i think the the issue that i i have is that you're talking about you want to expand locations number one and expand product innovation and you're like you don't consider that self-checkout might be a way to still guarantee a good store experience when you're trying to blow up to so many stores in the next year. And I think you should never say never, when, it, especially when it comes to something that's as efficient as self-checkout, especially with labor issues, you know, yeah. product innovation being only as much as, as is humanly possible at some point. Yeah, you're right. There's no good from ever saying never. Um, and, and my other part that was funny in the story, I didn't bring it up the quote, but he also like slammed self-checkout machines. Like he tried to use one. He's like, I'm in the industry. Oh, I couldn't yeah. figure out how to use it. I was like, dude, it's like the super most easiest thing possible right now. They've improved it so much. But Ben, you got to get in here too, man. Yeah, I think as a as an advisor, I would agree. I wouldn't say someone to say, you know, this, this hard line, however, and this might tear the room apart as a consumer and a Trader Joe's lover. I, I absolutely love this statement. Um, it, it's Trader Joe's. It's a very different store. I mean, I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn. I have a whole foods, I have Trader Joe's and they are completely different. I have self-checkout availability of my whole foods Trader Joe's. I have, I know exactly what it is. And, and I'm coming from the, the experience angle. The food's going to be different in each, but you, they've got this consumer that loves that, that knows that, that's used to that, that'll wait in these crazy long lines that wrap around the store and in, in the middle of cities. And, you know, this is just all a part of that. So I think it's a statement for their consumers to say, hey, we're not going to change. We're going to keep having this different, differentiated look. I think it's also a really nice statement for the employees at a time where, yeah. you know, there's a problem in the labor force. It's hard yeah. to hire right, right now um, in retail. <clears throat> and so think about that. Maybe they don't really mean it for 10 years from now, but in, in the five years, two, three, I mean, you now work there, you've got that assurance from the you know, CEO or president of your organization, which I think is a huge piece. I buy the employee statement. It's actually a really good point. The, the consumer, like really, like as a consumer, you're like, I love the fact that like what Amna's describing, like they're hassling me on product and I love standing in lines. <laughs> it just so. it just seems like like that model is good for Trader Joe's is not necessarily as good for the consumer. But I, I mean, I guess you you're, so, you, you shop more than, more than me. Yeah, it's a love. Hey, right. Y'all are in the UK at the moment. Marmite, right? Their, their website back in the day with you, marmite.com. Do you love Marmite or do you hate Marmite? If you click, you hate it, it kicks you out. And and it's a play on this this yes, no. And so we can debate about it as much as yeah. you want. We're going to probably stay on our sides of the table. Yeah. But the other the employee side is interesting, though, because there's also a lot of union trouble at Trader Joe's right now, too, which we hadn't talked about. So I think that 
that's important. I, I think the universality of the comment is interesting in of itself. Like to never to, to say never, we're never going to do this. It sounds like a move that the CEO is trying to make to make a statement out of the get go, probably for the employees more than anybody. I agree with that. But you got to be careful with those statements because like I, I made one on the last show and about Wawa and kiosks. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned, wow, I got I got flooded with emails and comments from that. Like, dude, you didn't don't know what you're talking about. They work great in that environment. Yeah. I use them all the time. I was like, OK, you're right. I should never make such a grand claim about anything. You've always got to qualify it. Um, and then the other point, though, that bothers me is the robot thing. Like, why take the time to demean robots? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, there's a reason people are using them. They work for some people. They may not be right for you, but that doesn't mean you need to like throw shade at them. In my opinion, doubling down. That that seemed like that seemed like a bridge too far for me. But anyway, well, he doubled down. He he's saying that, and he means yeah. it. He is going to go to his grave talking about Barcelona or Barcelona. I don't I don't actually know how he says his name. So hopefully, I got it right in one of those two pronunciations. All right, let's go to headline number five. Amazon is reportedly cutting dozens of its private private label brands from its assortment. According to the Wall Street Journal, Amazon has decided to eliminate 27 of its 30 clothing brands, such as Larkin Row, Daily Ritual, and Good Threads, leaving only three brands, Amazon Essentials, Amazon Collection, and Amazon Aware. Amazon Insider has also told the journal that Amazon also plans to drop some of its private label furniture brands, phasing out Rivet and Stone, Rivet, sorry, that's one, and Stone and Beam, Another one. Bland is also a good name for that, man. Actually, yes. honestly, when you yes. read them. Uh, once its stock of those items is gone, the changes are in line with a broader effort by Amazon over the past two years to curtail unprofitable unprofitable businesses and products. I'm getting tongue-tied Yeah, you today. are. Uh, and the Wall Street Journal also added that the private label moves uh, also address the scrutiny of the competitive practices around Amazon in-house brands that has vexed Amazon for years. Ben, we're going to go to you. Uh, is regular scrutiny the real issue here, or is it just a window dressing excuse? I, I, I do think it's it's window dressing. I think it's you know leveraging the scrutiny they under you know using that as the guise to you know skirt by admitting they made a mistake. Um, you know they don't make that admission often. You know if ever. If we look back to 2014, I mean they they launched private label with Essentials quite some time ago. When we saw Target introduced in 2014, very methodical, you know, an all-in store. And Target today, you know, great private label, you know, brand. Shoppers know it. Shoppers can feel it. Shoppers can, you know, will continuously buy it. And where Amazon ran into trouble, right, was setting this this huge target. I think it was 10% of net sales by 22. You know, you've got you know, that, that's that's quite ambitious. But then expanding too far, 45 brands. You know, no one being able to find it on the website, inventory issues, can't sell it. Now you go to, they're just running through all this inventory. Who knows how long that's going to take? Um, so, you know, they're, they're admitting defeat here um, on this on this play. It, and interestingly, I think this is going through the headlines a bit. They are reintroducing or introducing some of their Whole Foods private label brands to the marketplace, though. So for products that you can test in store, right? Because that's how private label really works for consumers. And now I can go get my my olive oil that I use every day through Amazon. That that's how it should work. And so, you know, throwing the white flag, but continuing down their path. Yeah, Chris, what are your thoughts here? One hundred percent agree. I think. Yeah. I think that's just a smokescreen. Yeah, without a doubt, it's got to come down to sales more than anything. Because if it was regulatory, 
why would you keep any of the brand? Yeah. Right. right. Like if you're going to, if, if that's going to be an excuse, you get out of everything. You yeah. Know? It makes no sense. And you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't keep the things that you're selling the most of because that just makes the regulatory case that much stronger, in my opinion. So, yeah. And with the highest margins. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, yeah. Right. And, and it allows you to pit, pit yourself against everyone and you have all that data behind you, which is also a whole nother topic. But, but, and the other thing, it's, it's so, it's very concentrated in apparel. Yeah, which you know goes along with that along with that line of thinking too, because Amazon continues to struggle in apparel. Like, yeah, I've not heard of. I mean, I don't, I don't shop Amazon apparel that often. But had any one of us heard of any of those brands that you mentioned? And to Ben's point, how would I know about them? Because I'm not marketing them in any way I can see them, like I am a Whole Foods private label brand when I'm walking the store or through an advertising campaign or something like that. So yeah, it's got to be that. Yeah, the problem though, it gets to what Ben was saying earlier, is that apparel shopping on Amazon still sucks. Like it's not, it's a terrible yeah. experience. There's no discovery that's easy to happen. It Damn, is, I'm not the hyperbolic it is today. seek and destroy. I need white <laughs> undershirts, which is where, why they're it keeping is. Amazon essentials right. because that's the white it's, undershirt. It's I need, exactly right. I need gold hoop earrings. That's what I'm going to look at Amazon for. That's Amazon collection, their jewelry, like yeah. com- competition. And then I need sustainable fill in the blank here, whether it's t-shirts or baby towels or whatever it is. And that's Amazon aware. Like they are keeping the brands that you are going to comp shop that you are going to go to Amazon for to find. And you don't care about like discovery of product or inspiration in an outfit. It's just, I need white undershirts. I know I can go. I'm getting Amazon essentials. Also, what happened yeah. to Amazon style? And is this yeah. going to impact that at all? Like, that wasn't that built to like support yeah. all of these 30 different yeah. clothing brands? I don't know. That was an attempt to do what Ben was talking about. Right. Yeah. I mean, we haven't heard word one about that in like a year. I know. Okay. Well, Chad, I'm going to give you the last word here. What do you think about this? Are you are you all about window dressing or do you think there's something more to it? No, no, no. It's, it's a complete red herring, right? I think if uh, if they were doing well from a sales perspective, then there'd probably be a little bit more of a struggle in terms of how to balance the scrutiny with what to do with the portfolio. Yeah. Let's say it's really easy. Legal scrutiny plus sagging portfolio bag it. N- no brainer, yeah, right? Right, right? You know, I, I, I would the final point I would make, though, just for all my CPG brethren out there is, is I think this is an indication um, it reinforces the point that like Amazon is not a place to build brands. Right. So when you're actually thinking about your, you know, kind of marketing brand building type portfolio, like, like for them, you couldn't even do it themselves. Yeah. Right. Or, or other CPG brands, like it works really well if you have a pricing advantage and you want to create incremental, incremental conversion and places to search. Right. We've talked about this on the podcast before where Amazon is now the number one search engine for, you know, for product search. Right. right. So great. Go there for known goods, price advantage, but it's not, a, it's not a brand building mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great last point. All right. Let's go to the lightning round. Chad, first question goes to you. Publix recently placed large signs in their stores reminding customers that only service dogs, not emotional support dogs and pets are allowed in stores. Is there another place that you've been lately where you think these signs should be posted? Uh, uh, this is going to unfortunately reveal uh, a lot about me. It's going to be polarizing. Like I'm not, I'm not a dog person. They don't. <laughs> do anything for me. And you thought um, I was going to so, get comments about making yeah, like, your wow. comments. Yeah. I know. 
<laughs> I know. And, and more and more of my family, not my household, are bringing dogs into my life, right? But like, so for me, man, I, I mean, I'd be good with no dog signs everywhere, quite honestly. <laughs> and let the hate mail begin. Yes. All yes. dogs should just go to heaven for chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Petco fam, Petco lizards are going to be yes. ready to go again. Uh, oh, oh, that was classic. Thanks, all right. thanks for making me do that. Yeah. No, hey, it was all, it was your role. We appreciate you the honesty. Doubt it. All right. <laughs> A recent study by Mintel concluded, quote, while a substantial portion of retail pizza consumers express interest in premium toppings and unique varieties, those concepts are likely to fall flat if the crust isn't right. So, Ben, my question for you is, how do you most like to eat your pizza crust? This is a pretty easy one for me. Uh, living in Brooklyn, you know, you've got, I've got five pizza shops you know, within a stone's throw of my, of my home. So the Brooklyn style, not thin, crispy, but definitely not. Chicago deep dish, nowhere near that. The perfect New York slice is, you know, everything for me. The hand yeah. tossed, yeah. I pizza now. That's what that's what Schwanz is going for in that whole uh, study yeah. they commissioned too. That Ugh. hand toss feel. Yeah. All right, uh, Ben, you get question number three as well. Target has now expanded their Good and Gather line into baby and toddler food. What is one baby or toddler food that you think someone who doesn't buy much baby and toddler food? Uh, what do you think is also appropriate? appropriate for adults to eat do you guys have a crystal ball in my future or something because why am i getting i don't know questions here um i i I use them actually for running and i love them it's the the baby toddler you know squeeze food like squeeze packets oh yeah 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 just easy to eat and and digest and get on with get on with go squeeze yeah but yeah it's all just good answer good answer good answer yeah the energy quick energy hype that's yeah All right, this next and last question is kind of in that same vein. So RX Bar's new ad campaign is focused on removing the BS in the wellness industry and features actors who look like real people working out in spaces that aren't overly stylized or art directed. So Chad, if you were a campaign spokesperson for RX Bar, what would you be doing in your exercise video and what would you look like after working out? Uh, I, I'll be a temporary campaign spokesperson for my workout studio. So I, I do, I do uh, F45 training. Have you ever heard Ooh, of that? Oh, yes. I guess what I would pick, my studio posted a video of me recently doing a burpee into a pull-up. Oh, uh, my gosh. oh yeah. We're familiar. Um, yeah. But what do I look like afterward? I am a complete sweaty mess. I have actually had to have trainers follow me around and wipe the floor following me. I oh, my God. You're like Chris. Yeah, 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 really bad. I just did my first F45 like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Oh, yeah, yeah that's it was, right. It was, fun. it was a good time. I like it. It was good. good How many burpees in the pull-ups did you get? <laughs> uh, not not a one, actually. No, that that's too advanced of a move for me right now still. <laughs> Maybe back in the day, but uh, good to know, Chad. Good to know. All right, well, that wraps us up. Happy birthday today to Ava DuVernay, Chad Michael Murray, and to the man I saw hit a home run live in Oakland during his final season in the big leagues. Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk, the only retail media outlet run by two former executives from a current top 10 U.S. retailer. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us. And we do it all just for you. And we try really hard to make it all fit within the preview pane of your inbox. Yes, we do. And I try really hard. I'm going to go back into my hotel room and do that right after we get off this podcast. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. 
And Chad, if people want to get in touch with you, pick the brains of other consultants like you at the AM Consumer and Retail Group, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, a couple different ways. You can go to our website, Alvarez and Marcel CRG.com. Uh, also, find us at Alvarez and Marcel Consumer and Retail Group on LinkedIn. You can reach out to either uh, Ben or I. Appreciate having us on and doing the format this way. Nice doing it in the same room. Maybe one of these times we'll be with you guys live, although yeah, if we're oh. in a bedroom, we'll blur the background. Yeah, right. Exactly. That would be I, fun to do this in person. Blur the background, Chad? Is that and you don't we have we have an elephant in the room yeah, in the back. There's so a literal elephant in the room, yeah. Chad. <laughs> an orange elephant in our room. Did you notice it? Yeah, it's kind of crazy back it, there. Didn't notice it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, on behalf of Chad and Ben, and on behalf of all of us at OmniTalk Retail, as always, be careful out there. The Omnitalk Fast Five is brought to you in association with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The A&M Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Firework. Firework is the largest video commerce solution built for the world's leading brands. They empower brands with shoppable and live stream video on their own websites where people like to shop. Put your commerce in motion with Firework. You can find out more at firework.com. And SPS Commerce. SPS Commerce is redefining how businesses across the supply chain operate in an omnichannel world. Their experts, tech, and data work together to fuel your growth and deliver for your customers. To find out more, head to spscommerce.com. And finally, Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit Sezzle.com.